0: This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Are you ready? I am ready. All right. Welcome to the Full Blast Podcast. I'm Jeff Fader, and my guest today is Lynn Ray. But before we talk to Lynn, we've got to take care of a little bit of business. Number one is you got to coat your stuff with something, whether it's wood or carbon steel or regular steel or leather. You might as well use something that's as nice, well-finished, and food-safe as Axe Wax. Axe Wax is an all-natural food-safe product for your knives, for your axes, for your hammers. I'm about to teach a a blacksmithing class, and I coated all my hammers with Axe Wax. It's food-safe, and it's great. And if you go to Axe put in promo code blast. 10 you're going to get 10 percent off your order and if you're in the uk you go to ukknifesupplies.com put in promo code full blast 10 and toby will take off 10 percent. same thing if you're in australia go to nordicedge.com.au and they'll take off 10 percent if you use full blast 10 and if you're in the eu uh keith colby my friend at knifematerials.at will take off 10 percent with full blast 10 so thank you very much uh, ax wax there they've been on on board since day one and i appreciate your your uh support Uh, Number two is, I really want you to kind of think about your website. Think about your website as something to be an assistant or something to help you. And what you can do is you can get a good website that's going to answer questions for your customers. You know, I know some of you guys like to do business through the DMs and that can kind of be a time waster. So if you have a really good website... That website will allow you to have questions answered, you know, in a way that'll make life easier for you and you can get back to work. So if you go to akinteractive.com slash full blast, Andreas Kalani will get you squared away. He'll make you a new website or he'll fix your existing website or he'll make you some logo redesign or he'll fix your, if you need some graphics for like, if you're doing a convention and you need graphics done, he's going to do that too. So go to akinteractive.com slash full blast, fill out the paperwork. You're going to get 10 percent off whatever you get from andreas kalani um as a as a listener of the podcast which i appreciate and he's a maker making things making all sorts of stuff he speaks your language and he's making he's making a website that'll help you very much and the last thing is i really 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 want to thank total boat for being on board total boat is such a great company Um, they are are makers of high-performance epoxies and polishing compounds, paints, adhesives, and primers. They were traditionally a uh, company that worked on for boat builders, boat builders and people working on boats. And then they started to talk to people in the in the maker community, the DIYers, uh, people who are doing projects. Lots of epoxy pores and resin pores. And there are a lot of guys who are using Total Boat, like Keith Decent, Derek Formalden, Keith Johnson. Keith Mitchell, Jimmy DeResta did a beautiful table with Total Boat uh, where he submerged all these things in it and he poured the the thick set in it. It was great. I did one of those with one of my bottle opener progressions and it's great. If you go to TotalBoat.com and put in the promo code FULLBLAST10, you're going to get 10% off your order. I've recently been using uh, the UV Cure clear resin which is this amazing resin that's activated by a uv light and it's it's crazy it's totally crazy but it's really terrific and then i've been using their uh what have i been using i've been using their high performance two-part epoxy which i love and actually uh, f- a, a guest coming up uh in a, very soon has been using the, the, the total boat part epoxy for all of his stuff and we're going to talk about that next week but go to totalboat.com support them and tell them you like that the fact that they're supporting this podcast i can't it really makes a, a big difference so once again thanks to totalboat.com and uh all right let's go i am i'm thrilled i'm thrilled by my next guest my next guest is lynn ray lynn ray is a master bladesmith he's also the resident historic blacksmith at the historic uh, arkansas museum he's an extraordinary bladesmith and an innovative bladesmith and he's also known for this one-piece construction a uh, forged one-piece construction called the X-ray knife, which I'm a huge fan of, and I'm sure you all know it. He's the blacksmith, bladesmith, Lynn Ray. Welcome aboard.
1: Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate it. I'm glad to be here.
0: Oh, we. I, I. want to once once again. I have to thank you for being so flexible. I know we had some technical issues, but I. I appreciate you just not giving up on me <laughs> because I would have if I were in your boat. I would have been like, what do I need to be on a podcast for? This is this is all this technical <laughs> no.
1: problems. It's okay. Technology is not my strong suit, but uh, we'll make it.
0: Well, you know what? That's funny that you say that because, you know, in the past number of years, you've been so active on social media, and it has become one of those things that really is the new way of getting your your work seen. Uh, I know recently you just, I think your website got, your your Instagram got hacked, and you're having a brand yeah. new website, you have a brand new Instagram page if you want to guys go follow His new Instagram, Lynn's new Instagram is Lynn underscore Ray underscore Knife Maker. And that must have been a real pain.
1: Yes, it was. It was a shock. Uh, I couldn't, in fact, it's, uh, it's still, uh, it's still active by the hacker, but he's changed it just enough and blocked me so that I can't get on there. So uh, yeah, it's frustrating, but uh, I'm rolling with it.
0: Yeah, you're rolling with it. Well, I, I, I really appreciate the fact that you have embraced social media, and I sh- I wonder how it's changed how you see the knife-making community.
1: Well, uh, I see it as the, the future. It's not just for the the person who wants to learn knife-making and some tricks and tips and things, but it's, uh, it's how you get your work out there. Uh, I discover things in my shop, uh, I sort of uh, think of tricks And I want to share them I'm just that way It should be that way And that's, uh, this is the way I can share it,
0: it It's, you know I, I was on your website uh, I've been, you know I've been looking at all your, your work and But the, one of the things that Besides your beautiful work And your knives are just extraordinary And the x-ray knife we're going to get into You're a very good writer It seems as though you really enjoy writing
1: that's right I do uh I've had some training in uh in writing and some training believe it or not in speaking uh and I'm just meaning the uh the mechanics or the the structure of uh of giving talks and speeches and uh introduction body conclusion etc and illustrations and those are the things that I value very much Uh, and I it's, nat- it's natural now for me to just try to approach things that way.
0: You know, it's, it's interesting because a lot of uh, people in the DIY community, the knife making community, you know, there, there, there are all these similarities to sculpture and painting and to, you know, creating the idea that it's being, you know, that it's artwork. And I, I've always been of the mind that being able to kind of communicate about the work in and of itself is almost as important, if not more important, to get the whole picture of what you're doing. And, and one of the things about your writing was you, your, your writing is so like, if you go to, if you go to Lynn's website, uh, he has got a section called smoke signals and there are these wonderful, these wonderful writings that you're creating these very vivid pictures of where you live in arkansas and the the things that you've grown up doing and and how you see it and And it's such a it's such a you create it. You paint a very vivid picture of 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 your love for knife-making
1: Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, we take for granted sometimes the simple things our upbringing the people that raised us and uh, showed us how to enjoy nature and uh, and sharing uh, the beautiful things around us is, is what makes it more enjoyable. And so when we discover crafts and techniques, and in this case, of course, it's knife making, um, if we can share that, it's just that much more enjoyable.
0: Do you think, you know, being in Arkansas and being the historic Arkansas, in the historic, the blacksmith, the historic blacksmith at the historic uh, Arkansas Museum, do you feel. Because you're you are a master bladesmith and you're known for your Bowie knives and Arkansas, that area is the birthplace of the Bowie, do you feel this like sense of, I'm trying, I was trying to think of the word and it's like honor, duty. Is it, is it respect? Is it like a, a weight on you? Because there is this incredible, I mean, Arkansas is the birthplace of the Bowie knife, right?
1: It's considered that, yes. And, and if I had to pick a word, I'd say responsibility. Responsibility, um, yeah, yeah. Um, that connection with the museum and the historic aspects of, uh, uh, of, and, and the uh, I want the culture. It's the word I'm looking for. The culture of a museum. It has taught me so very much, and at first I kind of uh, resisted it, I guess. Then, at, at some point, I realized that. Um, I I can't resist it. It, It's it's not because it's my occupation. It's because that helps me to look at it in a a way that's foreign from my own views uh, in in the past. So I look at things from a historic standpoint and a, a, a historic process standpoint, and those historic processes is what? fascinates me it absolutely fascinates me uh, the, the process led to a product and their process involved different equipment different tools a different uh, set of uh, uh, customers clientele uh, they had different needs uh, back in the day historically I mean and uh, and so viewing things from a different perspective it, it's really taught me to go ahead and take my time and view it from another view uh, another standpoint. And, uh, it, it often it helps me to shift gears or change directions just a little bit and consider some things that, that at the end of the process, my product is a little bit better.
0: Why do you think you were resistant in the beginning? I am,
1: I am a Southern stubborn individual <laughs> that, that con- considered uh a lot of these things, uh, I don't know was a, there there's just something about it that I thought was too uh for, for, for and again this was wrong of me to think this, but it was just a little too highfalutin. Hmm. Um if I could use that Sure that term. Um but but I realized uh the when when some of uh, our assistant director. From I keep having to, to go. I keep going back to him in my mind. He's taught me that documentation and uh, imagery, in other words, pictures and books and uh, things that we. If I was going to make something in that historic blacksmith shop, he taught me to go to the documents and make sure that what I'm making was historic. And then, if I needed to get information about the actual process to make that object i had a way to to find that out too i had connections to uh the the blacksmiths in colonial williamsburg uh i've been part of a network now for several years of some of the best historic blacksmiths and uh, learning the processes to make those things has taught me to think differently Uh, how to move steel, how to move iron, how to consider the character of iron and steel, the differences in those. Uh, and also, uh, it's enabled me to look at some of the modern materials like stainless steels differently and find out, examine the character of those and see if I can actually forge them into the parts that I want to make. Hmm. Uh, we know some a lot of people know that some stainless steels are you're able to forge those and shape them with heat and hammer some some is is very very difficult and it's just uh, prohibitive um, but some are very very easily forged but most people still uh, mill it out saw it out and just don't turn to forging but again um uh, my natural inclination is to build a fire and heat it up and see what I can do.
0: Yeah. Do you, when you became, were you, did you become the, the, were you involved with the Arkansas historical museum after you, what stage as your, as your, as stage as a blacksmith, as a bladesmith, were you, when you got involved with the historic museum?
1: I had just achieved my master Smith stamp. uh, And, um, I contacted the museum and, um, we talked and I hired on a regular staff as a, uh, I was in a maintenance department, which was great. However, um, since the museum did deal, we had, a, we still have a knife gallery. Um, I, I still refer to them as we, because I, I tend to claim that as my home. Yeah. Um even though I'm retired from there, uh I still do work for the museum, but um I was their resident bladesmith and the uh the, the person that is when someone come in, they need to talk to a knife maker, ask questions about the uh the knife gallery. Uh I had a radio and I was called and <laughs> I spent a spent a lot of time in the knife gallery.
0: Yeah. I, I, it's fascinating to me because, you know, being involved in the, I mean, my, being involved in the bladesmithing community and the knife making community, to then kind of venture off into the blacksmithing, the historical blacksmithing community, I know that you had uh, a lot of uh, chance to work with uh, Peter Ross and using those techniques. And I'm wondering how going from being a master bladesmith, how the information of working with traditional blacksmiths kind of, informed your work
1: well it did a couple of different things uh number one it made me realize just how little bladesmiths in general i'm speaking know about moving metal
0: yeah
1: Uh, obviously they can forge blades uh but a blacksmith could um he he dealt more with uh steps and stages of processes, um, for instance, all the various techniques of blacksmithing, the drawing, the, the upsetting, the, the, the welding, the punching, the, the, uh, there's a several of them but not uh, not too, too many, but right once that a black once a blacksmith got to where they could uh, do those things efficiently, they could mix and match techniques and build about anything. Well, uh, that's, that's what I wanted. That's what I liked about it. And I still do. And that's what I really want to get the message out to bladesmiths is, uh, uh, to, to take a black advanced blacksmithing course, uh, start at the beginning, but get to where you're making some things that are kind of complicated and it'll teach you things. Um, and it'll open your mind to, to different possibilities that you didn't have before. You just didn't think about them. Uh, it, it frees your, your imagination up. And uh, that's that's what blacksmithing did, did for me. I I went about it kind of backwards. Uh, a lot of knife makers come into knife making from the blacksmithing world. Um, I did the very opposite. Uh, I had an advantage uh, in that I've always worked with my hands, and uh, uh, been a house, home builder, a carpenter of different, uh, to different, in different ways, uh, heavy heavy uh, construction as well as home building for I don't know a bunch of years, thirty something years, <clears throat> and so a hammer was always <laughs> with me or on me, yeah, and I always used a hammer, so I was very, it, that was natural. Uh, So moving material with a hammer just wasn't a big stretch. But getting my mind wrapped around processes, that was, that was, uh, I mean, understood the concept, but I I never, I kind of had to put a lot of these things uh, together along the way as I, uh, in the last few years especially, uh, since my retirement two years ago from the museum been working more and more in my shop and and it's enabled me to to put some of these ideas i've had uh, uh, into action um and uh but i think the blacksmithing especially the historic aspect of blacksmithing was invaluable to me
0: now that i think about it when we talk about the and i love to talk about the x-ray knife i would think that if the opposite were true that you were a blacksmith first and then you became a bladesmith i don't think you would have come to the x-ray knife i don't think that you would have been i don't think you would have the based on the timing and the experience of what you had i'm not necessarily sure you would have arrived at the same place i think you would have been at a completely different place like being able to be a, a bladesmith at the at the Incredible caliber of yours. I mean, the amount of uh, awards and and winnings, and I mean, just that you're such a highly decorated bladesmith. If you had done the blacksmithing first, you would never have come to the. You would never have come to the to the, uh, or you might or have been a completely different idea than what you what you've created with the X-ray knife.
1: I tend to agree with you. Um, I I looked for ways. Uh, in my knife making to enlist the blacksmithing techniques and the, the ideas that I have. that You know, joinery, uh, whether it be mortise and tenon, uh, collars, um, you know, principles of upsetting and, and, and uh, tapering, drifting, and all that. Uh, material management is what blacksmithing is all about. If, if I were to just make a blade over and over and over again, I might tend to, it will become rote and I, I won't be able to teach it as well as if I really understand more about material management. There's going to be things I, could, I can pick up on in the student's eyes and their face and their questions. The student may not be able to ask the right question. It may not know enough about it to ask the proper question but I can discern what it is that they're wanting to know because I've been there. <laughs> and, uh, and I now know, I think, m- enough about moving material that I can kind of uh, get in front of them and, 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 and head off the questions and, and actually really help that person.
0: I, I can only imagine, when I, when I watched, actually, if you go to uh, Lynn's website, uh, rayknives.com, there is an amazing video where you're in South Africa, and it's a, it's a two-hour two video of you making an x-ray knife in real time. It is must-watch. It's fascinating to me. I really, you know, I had the very fortune to be able to kind of, we talked a few years ago when I did that watercolor drawing of your process. And I was fortunate enough to have that, you know, have the conversation and kind of get a lot of information out of you. But actually watching you do it, it made me watching you build the x-ray knife. It made me realize that the drawing is like should be a first draft because there's so many small things that I missed. One of the things that I love, which is counterintuitive to a lot of bladesmithing, is the first step of the forging of the X-ray knife. And the X-ray knife, this is the first time listening to or, or, or knowing who Lynn is. The X-ray knife is the concept of it's a forged one-piece knife where, you know, you'd think about a blacksmith knife or these kind of, you know, uh, very simple knives that have no, uh, it's one piece with no, you know, no rivets, no scales. It's just one piece. And it, the concept was was the brute to Forge and it's something that a um, blacksmith would make very quickly or stuff like that. The x-ray knife is elevated into something that's so beautiful and so elegant that it is a transformative, it's a transformative concept, really. It's like, you want to, you know, actually, after I made one of them, I wanted to hang it up because it was just like, I don't want, this is it. This is Linz, 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 the man. One of the things I loved about that video was your starting process. And the starting process of making an x-ray knife is counterintuitive to most knife making because you're probably i would say around 80 percent starting just on the on the handle it's all handle first
1: that's right that is right um one of the principles in blacksmithing that i borrowed from blacksmithing to carry over into this knife is to do the most difficult part of the process as early in the process as possible um That's always the case uh, because the risk is the greatest in that difficult part. Uh, Not that there's such a great risk, uh, uh, you know, most people can can draw that out. I mean, I can pretty easy, uh, but there is more risk right then because of the chance of burning the tail, too much heat or uh, not being able to move the material at the proper heat. So once you overcome those things and you accomplish that, the rest of it is not as hard. So you get that difficult uh, part of the process out of the way first. Um, If by chance you fail in some way, you can just simply cut that off and start again. If you invest too much uh, in the easier parts and then you come to the difficult part, and then you fail at it; the whole project's gone. So you've thrown it all away. Uh, so the things I have drawn from historic blacksmithing—the practicality of it all—that uh, was their guide. Practical. Uh, the practicality was their guide, their their watchword. their If it wasn't practical, they just didn't do it. Uh, or they changed the process to where it was more practical. Um, so, yes, it is counter, counterintuitive. And, but my, in my view, once we know enough about what we're doing, we, we know it in and out, forward and backwards, then uh, it, it has even caused me, of course, uh, I will always point this out if I have a student in, in the room with me, uh, <clears throat> it, I will sometimes forge the tang first. And if I have a reason to do that, then I will. Otherwise, I'll go back to the standard uh, way that uh, we're commonly taught is forge the tip and the, pull down the choil, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but, yes, um, I want to offer some alternatives, uh, some, some different projects that will, will teach you material management and movement.
0: After spending t- how did you meet how did you meet Peter Ross? We
1: well, was through the museum uh, We were what we would do <clears throat> I got to sort of got to know Peter over the phone and by email and uh, and what we did we picked a project and because you didn't just go to Peter's shop or him come to the museum shop. And without some plan, you know, some, some object to work on. So we picked an object, uh, for, let's see, uh, one thing was, uh, compass dividers.
0: Yes. Another
1: thing was socket handle chisel, uh, 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 padlock, uh, historic padlock, English style. Right. Um, oh, there was a few other things that we've done. Oh, scissors, uh, historic scissors, uh. So I've been in his shop, and he's been uh, at the museum several times over the several years. And uh, that, through that, through the museum, is how I I got to know him. And uh, uh, since then, I've uh, we keep in touch. You know,
0: he's actually teaching uh, blacksmithing class at the Center for Metal Arts, Um, and it's it's. I think that the box jaw. I think it's like the box. Box pliers, where it's like um, there's no rivet. It's it's incredible. I think that's what it is. I'm not hundred percent sure.
1: uh, Box jaw pliers. Uh, There is a there is a rivet. Uh, It's it's a um, the pliers themselves are first assembled without a rivet, Uh, but the additional uh, pin. It's really a pin. It's not so much a rivet because it's not really riveted. Per se, uh, it's flushed off, and you can't even hardly tell there's one there. But they, to, for smooth working operation, it needs that pin.
0: Yes, well, I would I, yes to alignment, right? Yeah, it's. A, uh, I mean, it's his his work is. I mean, he's just such a class. I mean, it is interesting because I that his. I wonder after spending time with him and and forging with. Do you remember the first project you did with him?
1: uh let's see uh i believe it was the uh let's see i think it was the compass dividers
0: wow at at what point after working with peter ross did the x-ray idea kind of come to your mind
1: (laughs) that's an interesting question i drove all the way out to north carolina to peter's shop and that's a quite a drive from Arkansas, like seventeen hours. Okay, um, well, we made historic English-style padlocks, and on that padlock, if you're familiar with it, there's a lot of mortise and tenon joinery. Uh, and it, the thing, the thing he, te- uh, the thing about it, this class, Peter, of, of course, teaches us. And it was, I was the only student, so he taught me. Um, If I needed to move the hole, I could. Now, that sounds crazy. When you punch a hole in a piece of iron, he showed me how to move that hole over just a little bit to make the tenon fit better. So, (laughs) and since then, I've looked at historic uh, objects. It doesn't have to be a lock. It can be a lot of different things, but I can see where they did the same thing, and that was a, a... a little trick and tip that comes from past history and i'm sure by examining older objects he gathered what they were doing and he just enlisted that in his processes too so you know it's just an adjustability uh uh tip uh which that is another subject that you know i'd like to touch on some but
0: um yeah what how do you do it how do you how do you adjust the hole
1: well you for one thing, if the hole needs to go over, usually it's just a few thousandths. You know, We're, in our term, modern terms, just mu- you file, take a round file, and file it over the direction it needs to go. Then you, on the inside where it's not going to be seen, you take a punch and you punch your material uh, and drift the material over by ups by pushing uh, and and moving it over toward the hole, which makes a new. Uh, a new whole edge if you follow huh. what i'm saying
0: yeah i do follow what you're saying
1: and then you clean that up and it uh you, you just do that till it fits uh we've seen this on subas japanese subas where uh sometimes the suba is uh is used on different swords down through the centuries and to fit another blade they may have to upset the back where it goes next to the handle uh, there's punch marks where it's drifted. The material's drifted in. Some if they have to add anything, a lot of times they use a copper piece and they wrap it around there. And we, if you study those things, you'll you'll see that that it's not just uh, the English culture, which is primarily what uh, Peter was teaching the English techniques, but it's it's different cultures. They they discovered that they they knew that it was a common, a very very common thing. But we. In our modern world, we don't think uh, in those terms very much. So it's hmm. quite a, a revelation to to us. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing.
0: Well, you were saying you wanted to, there was something you wanted to touch
1: upon. Well, a, a good process has adjustability, and there's an awful lot in that short sentence. Um, you can take any well-designed process, uh, and you can get a poor product, but if you follow the process and tweak it, uh, if there's adjustability along the way, and you set yourself up in the previous step for the very next step, and there's a little bit of adjustability there, then you can stay on course. If you you follow what I mean, there has to be some adjustability in the process. So for instance, I'll give you a simple example. Uh, In in my small x-ray knife, like you've been talking about and what we envision and what your watercolor shows, you do the tail first, the handle tail first, and your very first decision is how much material to step down. What if you don't judge it properly? I I will say oftentimes use two and a one quarter inch. And so, but I'll eyeball it. I won't, uh, a lot of times I won't measure it. I'm pretty good at that, at eyeballing it. Um, But what if even I uh, manage to draw it out and it's not exactly the length I want so, I know that uh, if I go ahead and make the blade the standard size, the blade will look too big or it'll look too small. Um, by doing the tail first, even if it's just a little bit off, you you can cut the bar off and proportion the blade according to the handle. So, there's some adjustability there. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> in every good process, there's adjustability. There's some mechanism by which uh, something can be adjusted to keep it on track. Uh, well, it's kind of like those holes and moving, moving those holes that, on those locks.
0: Yeah. You know, when you talk about adjustability, the first thing I thought about was back when, when I was uh, a blacksmith and we were making scrolls for railings. We were, you know, there were a lot of times where even though we were using jigs to kind of finish the scroll, sometimes you did have to make some adjustability. And every time I think about how you bring the tail back around for the final process of the x-ray knife, and then you line up the hole to hit, hit the tenon, I always think it's almost, it's, it's that that's a lot of the adjustability is in how you kind of kind of align that, the end of the tail of the of the, the knife in the nail the end of the tail of the X ray knife into that tenon off the standoff.
1: Yeah, um, one thing that I want to emphasize about the X ray <coughs> knife is I'm not viewing that knife as a complete object until uh, the later stages. What I what I'm wanting to do is create a preform. Uh, and and then only when I'm satisfied and happy with the preform will I uh, move on to the next step, the, the last step, which is to bring that tail around and pin it or, or peen it. Uh, so if I recognize the preform and the different subtleties of it, uh, And and I make my adjustments and go ahead if there's any filing involved, if there's any uh, uh, adjustments by grinding, and and there may be. Uh, If uh, there's days I can start in the morning and I can forge a few of those knives. I can forge three, maybe four in a day. And you can almost, there's good days, and I'll stack them up, and they'll look really, really close. Uh, you've seen good blacksmiths that can forge something repeatedly, and they they look like, they may not be twins, but they're siblings, you know. They look so much alike that you can tell the same person made them. Um, <clears throat> but every now and then, uh, I don't know, you just have a bad day, and something will go wrong. Well, you might need to uh If you catch it, if you catch it in time, you can adjust. So fix it as soon as you see the problem, whether it be by forging or grinding. It may be by grinding, but if you can forge it, you know, obviously that's your, uh, that's going to be your uh, means of fixing it.
0: That, what you just said reminds me of a lot of blacksmiths like Samuel Yellen who would, you know, would forge, would uh, do, you know, they do a lot of scrolls and they were, or I know other blacksmiths like my, uh, the guy I learned from John Ledford who could do these very incredibly, he was very good at making repetitive hand forged scrolls without any jigs and stuff like that. And that was always this, this, that was always something that was uh, imparted to me in terms of the consistency in terms of, you know, being able to be consistent and they didn't have to be exactly the same. But I mean the, that whole idea of repeat, repeatability and, and trusting your technique and your form and your and your knowledge and what the mistakes you've made is is just so critical.
1: Yes, it is. Um, you mentioned scrolls, and that's very appropriate uh, for this point and what I'm about to say. Uh, the X-ray knife, the small one, especially is. Is a little play on the scrolls, uh, the shape of scrolls. Um, there is there is a rhyme and a rhythm to the 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 curves. Um, when you put it, when you build a scroll, it may have to fit in within a space, right, like a frame or right. uh, a grill. Um, and if those uh, dimensions change from one particular dimension of rectangle or square to another particular dimension or rectangle uh, uh, dimension or <clears throat> yeah then your scroll although it's made to fit in that rectangle it's still proportionate it's still you could there's there's still a ratio there's still a proper way of shaping it to fit that you don't just (laughs) tighten one end till it roll it in there till it (laughs) on one end till it goes you know what i mean
0: yeah Yeah, i know what you mean i know what (laughs) Uh, you mean it has a yeah i know exactly what you mean so the x-ray uh once
1: once the preform is finished the preform is finished the blade it might be a, a same type a drop point or straight spine hunter blade or you if you change the blade then all of a sudden <clears throat> you change the handle by necessity uh, at least in my view because uh, there's a certain shape that of the handle that follows the blade and it just has to it just has to flow and work properly for for the overall knife to look proper, in a similar way, the scroll has to look proper. You've just filled a space uh, with a blade and handle, and they both have to match each other. Uh, it's very, very hard for me to put that in words. I don't, I don't know if I can actually put it in words. Uh, but when I when I get that preform made and I look at that the blade, I just forged on the front end of that preform I pretty well know um how I'm going to have to shape that that handle uh if the say the blade is uh is pretty wide uh, or tall from spine to cutting edge and rather short well the handle probably needs to mimic that uh unless it's a specialty you know uh a specialty type knife it's going to be used for something completely uh, specific to a to a purpose, uh, but a general hunting knife. And for for the look of it, they need to kind of fill the same volume. The front, the blade does, and the handle does. There's a there's a value of size and volume, and uh, <clears throat> and I don't mean to say fifty percent is a blade, fifty percent is a handle. I'm saying the ratios. They need to look proportionate whether or not you stick with golden ratio uh, <clears throat> or uh, three to five, you know, scroll type principles or, or, or whatever. Uh, it needs to be proportionate. And I think that may be in the eye of the beholder, but I have done enough of these now that I can kind of, uh, kind of know what, the, what handle to put on them, you know, what flow.
0: Going back to the idea of the scrolls, which I'm, I'm, I love. I mean, I love traditional blacksmithing, and I loved when I was working and we were doing kind of railings and stuff like that. I always enjoyed making scrolls. I've always saw the, the when the tail comes back into the 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 tail comes around and you get it to the standoff and then you peen it. I've always seen that as a type of scroll, and one of the things that's just very subtle there's a lot of subtleties to the x-ray knife that's really kind of that's not confounding but it's something that i think a lot of people miss and one of those things is when you're when you bring the tail back the line of the tail the line of the tail where it meets the standoff is parallel to the inside of where the tail would be there's almost like this it is a very sculptural structural connection where they there these, it's a repeating or a parallel pattern that is something that I've always noticed. And it, it creates this, like I said, it's a parallel that is very similar to what you were talking about in terms of how scrolls fit.
1: I'm glad you noticed that, because uh, that's definitely what I want. And uh, I often see people who, and I do encourage people to make it, and I have no problem with them making it. But I want people to understand. That It's my intention, and for it to look proper, in my opinion, for it to have that rhyme, that parallel quality, it's it's almost a concentric, uh, you know, a principle going on there, uh, The where the, the finger guard is, is a, a tighter curve than the other one, uh, and so that means that standoff where the rivet is has to come out almost on a, uh, uh, a radial liner. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a geometric term. Uh, uh, tangent. Um,
0: I would have never come up with that. Right, I would right never up, come up with-
1: right off to say the 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 axis of a. Um, of the, from the radius out so it's on a radial line from an imaginary center point and so that's 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 the way I have it in my mind and that's, to me that's that's uh, more ergonomic that's, it certainly looks better to me and I do believe I do believe once we follow a certain <clears throat> whether it's mathematical or just uh, natural uh you know, an appearance that we are attracted to and drawn to—I do believe it becomes stronger and more useful. I believe those are—they're they're tied together. Can't explain it, but I just am convinced that that, that it's that
0: way. It's strong. Your your use of the word tangent is better than I would have come up with. I'm too stupid to come up with a word like that. What I would have—I mean, I it, when I think of it, I see it as if you cut the standoff off you would have two you you know, the inside of where that knuckle guard would fit into exactly into your the inside of the knife. You know I mean? yeah. So I guess the question is is at what point point... I know that I read that you had said that it took three years to come up with the X ray knife. Around three years. You've been yeah. playing with it for three years. At what point after working with all these blacksmiths, these colonial blacksmiths, did you start to just think of this direction i wanted to know the spark of where where the x-ray came from
1: you remember me saying i had a 17 hour drive to and from It, (laughs) it was on that drive coming back from peter ross's i i mean it was driving was not exactly mindless but uh i had a long way to go and i had to i wanted to concentrate my mind on something that would uh, you know be uh, I I knew I had something going on in my head that that I had to try to either convince myself to try it or put it into words to draw it on paper and so the farther along I got the more determined I was I was going to make this happen
0: what was the, what was the, when you, th- in your mind on that drive, what was the focal point of the handle? Or what was the focal point of what you wanted to accomplish?
1: Well, the rivet was, uh, was, was one of the things that I wanted to, to use as a technique. And it, simply because uh, I have seen and made a few of the, Viking style blacksmith knives, a little rat tail knives, and right. pinch pinch my finger. Uh they feel springy and uh they they feel more of a novelty to me than a real working knife. And so I, I said to myself, if if I had a little standoff there with a rivet, it would change the whole uh feel of the knife and probably improve its quality and make it a real knife. You know what I mean? Right. And I, <clears throat> I don't want to disparage uh, the Viking knife. Uh, basically, this is a Viking knife with a, with a standoff and a rivet. However, I try to go ahead and use some of the other proportions and ratio techniques from blacksmithing uh, in the design and I do think that it's important that, uh, that it's, that they're enlisted in the knife, uh, not only just from the side profile, but from the top and the bottom, they, they simply, uh, they have to be comfortable to use. Uh, I've seen a lot of Folks, uh, they'll make them, and it's dead flat. It's just a one-eighth inch thick piece of metal, and it comes around, and uh, and, I, and I may as well have a a full tang handle with with no no scales on it. And I don't believe. I mean, sure, it can be used in a pinch, but I don't want this to be a minimalist, totally minimalist uh, approach. I want it to be a functional knife. So I I widen the handle. From the top view, I widen it enough to where your hand is, is not going to feel any, uh, and I chamfer the corners and the edges uh, and, and make it a functional, usable, comfortable, if you will, knife.
0: It's interesting that you say that because now I start to realize, I, now I always realized it, but the idea that this is not a skeletonized knife. This isn't a knife that you just, you know, this is, there's a lot of volume changes in the handle that you, that are, it's, you don't subtly see unless you really kind of see how they are.
1: That's right. And the step down uh, is where the, the handle tail meets the, what would be the ricasso on a standard knife. <clears throat> and, and it's not perpendicular to the line of the knife. It is on an, it is on an angle. It is it is on a distinct angle, uh, and I am convinced that that makes a stronger juncture, a stronger transition from blade to handle. Uh, it makes the attachment from handle to the spine of the blade uh, more linear. Uh, it's it's braced better it's i've absolutely never had any problem with the strength of these things um i've had people say to me you know they'll see it and they'll say is that strong it looks like i might could squeeze that you know the handle i said go ahead (laughs) um but i would say the highest percentage of strength is in the top i'm sitting there looking at a picture so I'm, i'm 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 trying to describe in words what I'm really looking
0: at. I'm uh, looking at a picture too, so I'll, look, I'll help you out. I'm looking at a picture too. I can't. I, I love them so much.
1: So when it when it tapers off of the blade, what will be the blade? And you're, remember, you're doing this first, so it's you're tapering it off the bar. It's it's bigger right where it comes off the bar, and gets narrower and thinner as it comes around. You always I always leave a little volume of material, a little teardrop of material on the end, that gives me my finger guard or beaver tail, I call it. Right. Um, so the majority of the strength is in the upper part. And the, the bottom where it comes around and attaches to the rivet is merely bracing it. It's bracing the already stronger upper part and it completes and fills the hand underneath so it gives you the top to bottom dimension that you need that is to me superior than uh, the, the, the viking um, rat tail which has no attachment it just comes up under there and curls
0: when, when i look at some of your other work i'm actually looking you were in blade magazine uh, not too long ago and i'm actually looking at this image of it's a bowie knife uh, it's an X-ray style Bowie knife. One of the things I love that you have in these transitions, based on the size of the knives, if you have these structural, forged structural elements that are equally very blacksmith oriented. You in the, in this particular uh, X-ray knife with uh, the Bowie knife, it has this T-shaped construction on the top, where the handle, you know, the top of the handle flares out but the connection between the handle and into the blade is like not i you wouldn't say i-beam because it's like a t but that transition is just so beautiful it's such a very clearly forged element
1: and it's uh i hope it's clearly an intentional element um because that transition is the strength between blade and handle and uh I appreciate you noticing that 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 is my goal is to create sufficient strength between blade and handle uh, <clears throat> that's another thing I'd like to touch on is sufficiency there there's a a tendency for uh, some mostly new and uh, Less experienced uh, smiths to overbuild something, <clears throat> to overbuild it, make it super, super strong. Well, what happens when you build something more than sufficiently strong? What happens when you build it super strong? You add weight to it, you have added weight to it. Um, and and when, when sufficiency is your guide, um, so there is a balance between, uh, sufficiency, uh, between heavy enough, strong enough, and, and too strong. And, and really that sufficiency is what you're trying to go for. And I don't believe it's an accident uh, that when you reach that sufficiency point, you also have created literal balance in the knife. In other words, when the handle's wide enough, comfortable enough, strong enough to to properly support that blade and the blade purpose, then all of a sudden you've achieved a literal uh, semblance of balance. Uh, The knife doesn't feel heavy. It feels commensurate to any other standard knife that you'd pick up. Uh, It's it feels right. Uh, so you can imagine the amount of experimentation and, uh, failures <laughs> and, uh, and tests and experiments that I had to go through to, to just come to that realization. I'm, I'm overthinking this, this, it needs to be strong enough, but if you make it too strong, it's going to be way heavy.
0: I, the, when you look at these knives, there's such an efficiency in material design and efficiency in terms of structure that's very apparent. And I guess I wonder, at what point did you have the concept of the standoff? Because the standoff is really what, not, it's one of the items that really sets it apart from a lot of knives because the standoff is almost at a 45 degree I want to say 45 but it's not really a 45 degree it kind of stands out off the ricasso and then that's where the, the junction is between the end of the knuckle guard or the, or the beaver tail and it gets pinned in. At what point did you figure out how to, to that you were going to do that standoff?
1: I knew I was going to do it at first. When I first come up with the rivet Uh, Idea, However, the height of it and the position of it was yet to be determined. (laughs) So, uh, but since then, I've concluded that the, it is a, the angle and the, the distance that it protrudes, whether it's below the cutting edge and you need, it's best to have the whole, you don't just go out there and make a handle and say, okay, I think the best blade look good on this handle is this and and then start forging. You no, know, you need to have all this in mind at first, but that standoff is a way to adjust. Uh, there is some adjustability to it, but it is a way to uh, proportion the knife from a side view. And also, I mean, it, it feels better in the hand at a given uh, shape. There's some adjustability there within that standoff. So, knowing study what I, I did was I studied my conventional knives. I, I measured and measured and, and I overlaid uh, say a, uh, uh, a, a clear image uh, on a transparent paper so to speak, over a standard knife drawing and I located those points, those those uh, major, locations for the standoff the rivet the the underside of the handle and believe me a sixteenth of an inch uh, is a big difference if it's there when it shouldn't be or if it's not there when it should be Uh, so the tiniest of details makes a difference in how a knife feels in your hand and for me to tackle something like this this design and make it uh, acceptable is quite a challenge. It was yeah. quite a challenge. I remember when I first laid it on a table at a cutting competition. I hadn't even taken it to a show, but I laid the big knife on a cutting competition because I was going to compete with it. And the judges looked at it like, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> they said, uh, is that going to hold hold together? I said, pick it up, cut with it. And uh, they looked at it, they felt of it, and it didn't take but a minute. They realized this was this was something new, and and they said no problem. And I think I got second place in the cutting competition, but that's beside the point. <laughs> it <laughs> it, uh, it it was fun, and it was just enjoyable seeing people's reaction to it.
0: I would imagine that after 3 years of I mean this is something special this is this design that a part of the process is part of the design you know the process in and of itself and with your history and everything like that when you first start after 3 years and it was this maybe a, a few different eureka moments and then you realize that you could you could uh, scale it up for different size knives and different types of knives what was the how did you feel about it? I mean, it must've been a, I mean, it was really like, I mean, when I say innovative, I, I, I hold you as on the, one of the highest pedestals in terms of taking something and breaking it back to something so simple, looking simple, but so elegant and complicated. How did you feel when you kind of got it all together?
1: Well, I felt like I had something. I felt like this was a, a, a worthy, a design. Um, I knew it wasn't gonna be for everybody. I mean, I heard, I heard, uh, you know, from the grapevine, there's some people thought it was uh, kind of strange and uh, <clears throat> nothing really terribly negative, but uh, I just knew it wasn't for everybody. Let me just say that. Right. Um, but w- what I wanted to show was that there's there's really there's really some innovative and new things that. Each of us can can bring to the knife show the knife table, as it were. Um, there's still some new things that to be done and that can be done. Um, and so I I just kept kept doing it for for good or for the bad. I, I it was mine. It's uh, and I, um, I I just wanted people to know about it. Just if nothing else, just to to encourage uh, some of the newer Smiths to go for it. Try it, you know, try new things. And I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it across the Internet. Uh, Just recently I saw a a a relatively new idea. And, of course, he gave me a shout out, but it was something I hadn't done. But there's new things I'm thinking of that I want to try and there's some things I haven't hardly even shown that I've done and I want to go back and revisit
0: actually you did I was fortunate enough that you did send me a number of years ago after we did the watercolor you sent me these new ideas one of them was and I think you probably posted about it but it was it was the, a forged knife with the tang that went all the way through and then you had this bar that you forged that went around the whole thing and it was three rivets
1: Yeah, yeah I, that's- I feel like Go ahead. That's one. And I've got it probably four or five, half a dozen maybe uh, different basic designs. But it's all uh, stems from the, the idea of forging from one piece of material.
0: Yeah. I think that it, what's interesting is, is, is the idea also – of you said it in the video when you were in South Africa that, that there is not that you enjoy the fact that you can have a knife di- done in one day you're not waiting for glue to dry and you're not using expensive equipment that's one of the amazing things about the x-ray knife and once again I, 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 I think back to you being a master bladesmith and what goes into becoming an ABS master bladesmith and just the amount of work and effort and equipment and tools. For you to kind of drop back into this—I mean, it's your own. It's the X-ray is your own. And to the, when we were talking originally, you said that this is done with minimal tools. This is done with a forge, an anvil, a hammer, a couple of bars, and a vice. Yes. The fact that you're able to bring back something so technically beautiful into some, some incredible simplicity is part of the beauty of the X-ray knife.
1: Thank you for that. Oh, don't that's you right. think? I mean... I, I i was... That was my... That was my goal. I mean, anybody can make an ugly knife. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm quite capable. <laughs> Believe me. Um, but can you take uh, one piece of material and sculpt it, basically, into something that's functional and beautiful at the same time? And, you know, all that's it's in the eye of the beholder... But, um, that was my goal. Yes. Uh, and I do believe it's possible in other crafts and it's, it's done every day in other crafts. Um, and so it, it needs to be done in knife making. So I, I wanted to, uh, you know, I've always sort of resisted the, the, uh, the term artist for myself, as a, as it applies to myself, but the sooner or later I've got to realize that, yeah, in some sense I, I I have to view it as as art, and so yeah, it's it's art, but I want it to be functional uh, art, functional art, and as the art my- thing's
0: tough, the art thing can be tough because it's interesting because. You know, when I talk to a lot of knife makers and a lot of sculptors and stuff like that, there is this connection between being a bladesmith and being an artist. And I know that there are people, like I've talked to master bladesmiths who say to me, I'm glad you don't think it's art. Or I have people who say it's art. And I wonder because there's this, what I've always felt as though is, with sculpture and art is something that it's like, it's, a, it's, a, it's the manifestation of your own ideas and techniques and you're creating something original. Within the confines of bladesmithing, you do have a set. You do have a set of standards that is, you know, very finite. And what is interesting is about, about your work is it does fall into that kind of sculptural idea because it is. Ha- it does have this. It does have this lyrical quality. You have all these transitions. You have that. You have contrasts. You have, you know, an, an original idea and an execution. It, it is a manifestation of an original idea, but it's just a different style.
1: That's right um, if we did not view our work as art then we wouldn't go to all the trouble to make it pretty I mean it that's you can't separate the two we have to admit that yeah it's hard I yeah I don't know why we resist that I, d- I really don't uh, it's just a it's just a fact so uh, architecture um, uh, any any type of of architecture or creations that man makes their goal of course is to make it beautiful uh, and if you set limitations on yourself like i did i mean i, I did it on purpose i, I knew what I was I knew it was going to be a, a tough thing to do. Take one piece of material and make something pretty, uh, but functional, and, and call it a knife. Um, that was going to be pretty tough. It's taken a while. I mean, you can see, <laughs> you can see as long as it took, and I'm probably not there yet. Really, I'm trying, but I'm not there yet. I'm still working on it,
0: but uh, it, I've done enough to where it shows it's possible. I think but it seems to me that that's the goal of the journey of the craftsman. I mean, you if you if you're you it's the journey. You know, it's funny that they they call it the journey what a journeyman is because in my mind, I mean, my my happiness and satisfaction of making something is the fact that I'm never truly satisfied. And the fact that I'm always looking t- towards, you know, learning and 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 evolving as a craftsperson or a sculptor or an artist and that's that one thing that i feel like it's taken you so long to get to this point but it was meant to be
1: i guess it is yeah uh it it uh you know if if we're say building homes or something like that we we're not as invested as we are when we create something and we're the only one working on it and it bears our name um it it, it's just there's something about uh, making these knives that i don't know i guess i I feel invested you know very much invested
0: so when you when you you were saying before that when you came to you were coming to the uh you were bringing it to the blade show and there were pe- How were you received? How is the how was the X-ray knife after years of having such a reputation with the your Bowie knives and your reputation as a master bladesmith? How were the X-ray knives received?
1: Well, uh, it was mixed. It was really mixed. Um there was people that were fascinated with it that there was a lot of people brought their friends over and said, come over and look at this. And they'll come look at it. And it it took a while. I mean, it took probably a couple of years before and me putting it on Instagram and Facebook and sticking my neck out there, you know, ready for it to be chopped. (laughs) Really? Well, you know, I mean, it's different. It's so very different from what, Usually, the uh, the goal of knife makers would be uh, it's so very different that um, that you just you don't don't know what to expect. Of course, I had some insecurities. I mean, like I said, uh, it uh, it was uncertain. It had mixed reviews, so. It took a while before it actually was appreciated for what it, what I meant for it to be that this is this is a piece this is a way I can express uh, my art but function it's a functional art uh, this is really a knife it's not just a novelty it's not just a sculpture it's actually a real knife it works yeah. just as, just as well uh, in some cases, maybe better. Uh, the, the, the strength of it and the, I mean, I, I can envision anyone taking one of these big X-ray buoys and not worrying about, you know, cracking a piece of ivory or, uh, <laughs> you know, it getting rained on or something like that. It's, it's really uh, the epitome of a survival knife.
0: I what I, one of the last knives I saw that you did actually it wasn't the last knife, but you did a I think you did a cutlass, an X-ray cutlass. It was so incredible, and it was it just seemed as though it seems as though every time you make one, you're having a good time.
1: Yes, uh, when I went out to the forge, I didn't realize it was going to take me three days to forge that. Uh, huh. <laughs> now let me back up just a second. The reason it took me three days is because I mean, of course, this is the first one. I had some some drawings. However, um, if I do the handle first, you know, more or less, and and I don't, I mean, get the get the handle piece out there straight. It's out there straight. It's not brought around yet until the blade's forged, just like <clears throat> just like any of the other uh, X-ray knives. Um. But it was so different, and I had to measure. I had some predetermined measurements that I had to meet. And uh, so I had to kind of back up, and they cut the end of it off and upset a piece and turn a tenon a certain way. And so that took some time, and I kept having to think and rethink. Um, it was just a... It was just a difficult one to make, but I couldn't really ask for it to be much better than it turned out. It's just, uh, it just took me a while. I had to, I couldn't hurry through it. So I
0: I, I, go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: I, I just took a break when I needed to and thought about it and just took my time rested and then went back at it. You know, it just took a few days
0: what are some of the variations of the x-ray knife that you've made that you thought there's something here but this one isn't it like i wonder have you made any x-ray culinary knives i
1: have not uh, however i think that is an option i do i think that is a good option uh, i just haven't done that yet i haven't made mm-hmm. many culinary knives of any kind <clears throat> so uh that's not an indication that it's not that it won't work for uh, a chef's knife. Uh, it just means that I've not gotten into that field very deeply. Right. Um, I, well, I, I, go ahead.
0: Go please. ahead. Please. No, I, I was just gonna. I was just gonna. I, I. I. It just. I would think that if if coming up with the idea of how you make you know the the ratios of the material you use and the techniques that you use. I would think that like all of a sudden like the the doors the gates are open to all the uh, op- all the different uh, opportunities you could do with the X-ray style. You are correct. Um, I, I actually will think up
1: similar things for just um, parts of other knives, you know conventional knives, but just come up with different ways of uh, uh, foraging the the actual part. And and that's just a side benefit of uh, of all this uh, thinking. This think entirely way too much on some of this stuff, of course. Uh. <laughs> but uh, uh, another another uh, approach. Most of the time, I start with rectangular stock. However, there's uh, there's one that I like to make, and I will go back and revisit that, and that's from round stock um blade comes up into a round integral of course bolster and splits and goes back the top goes around to forms into a butt cap and the bottom goes back and pierces through a hole and uh, uh, and it's shaped like that so it's got a different look but it's it's one piece uh, starts with round stock instead of rectangular stock so uh, there's not, there's not very many limits uh, a person would have to kind of see which one suits them the most in their forging style their equipment um, and you know before they before they try to tackle it But if they were very difficult, I wouldn't be doing it. I mean, again, practicality is the guide um, of the early blacksmith, and I've sort of adopted that if it's just so impractical. For instance, I'll give you an example of impractical. A Damascus X-ray. Now, everybody and their cousin has asked me, when are you going to make a Damascus one? Okay. Well, believe me i've thought about it actually i made one small one but here's the thing damascus uh has a lot of work invested in just making the material to start with and dollar wise it'd be much more advantageous for me to make a conventional knife out of the damascus it would go farther and would be better served um to to make a conventional knife from the Damascus when a lot of it's just going to be covered up with scale. If, in fact, I was to fully finish a piece, uh, take the scale off and work out every little nook and cranny and curve and inside curve and all that stuff, and it's all clean and then etch it, nobody could afford it. Yeah. (laughs) You see what I mean?
0: Yeah. I, it's interesting too because I think about when I think about Damascus, I also think about like the practicality of you know as a blacksmith, you know the the old idea of of forging knives was economy and material. And when you're talking about Damascus, the idea of I always think once in a while I will get somebody ask me to do a Damascus a full tang Damascus knife, knife and I th- and I always think to myself, why would you want to cover up all that work with scales? Yeah. So I would think especially with the X-ray knife, which is like. I don't know. The, to me, I, I talked to other blacksmiths of the difference between blacksmiths and bladesmiths, and I was talking to Pat Quinn at the Center for Metal Arts, and I said the one of the things that I, I see the difference between blacksmiths and bladesmiths is, and I don't think he understood me 100%, but I said, I feel like blacksmiths focus on the whole thing, but the outside, the outside is very valuable versus bladesmiths a lot of time is they're forging everything out but everything gets ground out Any, you know a lot of stuff gets ground out anyway and you lose you're kind of more focused on the inside of the knife or the inside of the steel as opposed to the blacksmiths focusing on the outside. And when I look at a black when I look at the way you've done the x-ray knife, I, I see that there's a, there's a minimal amount of you're not doing full flat grinds. you're leaving a lot of the, the forged parts of the, the spine. Uh, and it is a blacksmith's knife. So it is, it is kind of like, I kind of don't, I think that if it was made, it made out of Damascus, I think it would just not really be correct.
1: I think you're right. And that's really, I keep coming to that, um, conclusion after thinking it over time and again and answering questions. And, uh, it's just my opinion that it, it's just not a good match, right? Uh,
0: well, because everything, every part about the X-ray knife is so well thought out, the it's like it's a, it's almost about the intention as opposed to what it actually is. It's the attention, the intention of you as the as the as the bladesmith the intention of not having to use power hammers, not having to use all this expensive equipment and your you have your coal forge and, and you have, you know, instead of using fullers and fullering tools, you just have some round bar to incise the incise out and separate out the standoff. The intention of it all is the simplicity of it all and I would think to make like this very you know, it would almost be like a it would almost be like a anomaly to do or not it just wouldn't be the the same intention as the X ray knife
1: right and uh it wouldn't bother me if someone used i mean i will use power hammer from time to time of course i will um to speed things up but i know i can do it by hand as well uh but it wouldn't bother me if someone uh say used a uh a side grinder or power hammer um or anything else if i'm doing a demo and i'm pushed for time i'm going to say i need a four inch side grinder and it will help me and i will explain this is where i would normally use files or <clears throat> do it by hand whatever and just we're just going to speed it up for the sake of time right right, right. um and that's that's the way i approach it and look at it i'm, I'm not a stickler for that kind of thing. I. If in the right setting, yes, I would be, but, uh, time just counts and, uh, I've got a really good understanding of what's going on. Then I'll switch
0: over to grinder or power hammer. Sure. Are there any other points that you wanted to bring up? Anything I didn't touch upon that you'd like to talk about or,
1: uh, no, I just, I I do encourage, uh, Someone that needs a project that will not only uh, afford the possibility of a payday, but will also give them the needed practice that they need in their forging. Well, use the x-ray as a project, the small x-ray knife. You will get your tapering, your punching, your uh, material management skills down, Um, and at the end of it all, if you're happy with it and someone purchases that knife, then it paid for your, your training. So take a blacksmith course, learn to manage and move material. Use the proper heat. Uh, most people don't work hot enough. They, they work it too cold and it, it resists and it don't move properly um, so again blacksmithing skills that's working throughout temperatures and material management uh, every bladesmith in my opinion if you're a bladesmith <clears throat> you need to take a blacksmith course and become proficient at making other things, make your own tongs, make your punches and your chisels and uh, r- r- repair your, say your your um, your leg vise needs a new spring, you can forge a new spring learn the principles of heat treating other things besides blades, uh, it'll it'll open up a whole new world of possibilities for you
0: One last question, or well, I could probably even a couple more did you? What did Peter? When you came, When you finally finalized the X-ray knife? What did did you show it to Peter Ross, and what did he say?
1: <laughs> yes, I did. I showed it to him, and I uh, actually gave him one. Um, he thought it was pretty cool, you know. But you're talking about a guy that can probably, I don't know, he can outforge most people in this country. I, I dare say he's a, he's one of the top historic Smiths uh and nobody can really argue with that anybody knows knows his work but uh anyway he appreciated that uh yeah he he oh he he did uh he did have some uh some questions more about in the line of heat treating uh for me because of my background in the, the blade work and heat treating blades uh You know we talked about some different quench uh mediums uh he makes tools Uh, he's a for instance uh planes and so the irons that goes in the plane for cutting molding uh some of them are really uh odd shaped they have sharp inside corners and he was having a problem cracking well we talked about that i think we kind of worked out some between uh thermocycling and using a different oil uh quench medium uh i think that helped so i was glad to be able to help help pay back a little bit for what he was teaching me
0: at the very least i mean (laughs) jeez i mean i mean i mean mean, it's an incredible experience with him to kind of put you in the position that you're in i mean it's great I'm so
1: grateful for the, for the training I've had with him. He, it just opened new doors for me.
0: And you're still teaching. You're teaching at the uh, the, the uh, New England School of Metalwork. I think you have a class coming up in July. Is that right? That's right. All right, guys. You can go see. That. Oh, last question I had is where does the X come from in X-ray? I kind of understood, but I'm not 100% <laughs> sure.
1: Okay. It's kind of a, a play on words, of course, because you can see through yeah. it.
0: However, oh, you know what? I thought it was a. I thought it was like there was like an X. I thought there was like a shape. There's a shape
1: part. There, there is. There really is. Uh, If, especially on the, uh, on the bigger one with the top lug, uh, and I sort of explained this in one of the articles, and I don't know if it came across clearly or not. It's hard to put into words, but. as opposed to a T-shape or a cross shape, uh, <clears throat> there's a direction you can turn that into an X, and it's much stronger as far as uh, uh, in a, when certain torquing or tension is put on it. And so the the knife, uh, the transition from handle to blade uh, – the shape of the ricasso, the standoff, where the handle comes off and the, the blade choil drops down, that sort of makes a uh, crude X. But it's <clears throat> it's it's in that direction that is the strongest. You mentioned that T-shape or that T-beam shape. If you cut it in half and looked at the end of it, it's got that T-shape cross-section. Yeah. Well, right there where you would cut cut it to see that T that's the part that you want to be the strongest uh, to tie the handle to the blade and it has the handle has to be strong enough to support a blade for that size and purpose and so that all that uh, that shape the height the thickness all of it is determined by the purpose of the knife. Um, so uh, there, there's another aspect that might kind of uh, play with that little idea of it being an X-ray.
0: What but a, a, good <laughs>
1: friend, no uh, a good friend, a good friend, Dudley Dawkins. <clears throat> he teased me about the knife, and uh, he's been a big supporter of me making this, uh, these different. Style knives, and so he made a joke about it being X-ray because you can see through it. And so I said, "I'm going to use that." It, <laughs> this was right at lot, the beginning.
0: You know, it's funny because I never. It did, I, I, I thought when you said that yeah, because you can see right through it, I thought I am the dumbest person on the planet. <laughs> I had no idea. I had no idea. I was like, "Why did I think? Why did I think about that?" I like, I wonder why he called it the X-ray knife. It was so stupid. It's
1: hilarious. <laughs> well, it also allowed me to. Uh, Attach my actual name, yeah, to it, uh, which, you know, I mean, like I said, good or bad, uh, it, my name is attached to it, and I can't deny it, and neither can anyone else. So,
0: <laughs> that's right. It's uh, so
1: it is. It it is mine, and uh, whether or not in a hundred years people enjoy it, like it, or hate it, it's still attached to my name.
0: So what's next for Ray? What's next in the design ideas? What do you have going on next?
1: Okay, that's a really good question. Uh, I I believe that I will continue to make the x-ray, and I'll try some variations here and there. But primarily, I just want to share the process so that other people can make it. And I'm not looking to be uh, you know, for my name to go down in history. That's not the point. I don't think that's the point at all for me. Uh, I just want to teach people to not limit themselves by uh, having to have a whole shelf full of handle material and uh, just all kinds of fancy equipment. Uh, I got a lot of that stuff, of course, but I don't have as much as some. But I like to uh, keep to the basics and, and and never leave never get away too far away from the very basics cuz that's your foundation. Um so if you can build a, a one of these knives, one of these X-rays and build it proportionate, strong, sufficiently strong, build it proper, functional and beautiful. Then you can build any knife. You you know the principles behind any knife, and really that is what I was trying to do: draw from conventional knife making, and let it, let the X-ray answer all those questions. Is it balanced? Is it strong enough? Is it proportional? Uh, is it beautiful? Is it comfortable? Uh, so, to the best of my ability, I that's what i've been trying to accomplish with that knife answer those questions
0: my bucket list on my bucket list is to is to someday get to study under you and make an x-ray knife i I can't just look at the pictures i can't look at the watercolor anymore i can't watch the videos i need to get that in-person situation so that's on my bucket list
1: well, you you're welcome here anytime, Jeff. All right, well, I appreciate
0: that. Lynn Ray, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, the the X-ray knife. I've been this has been something I've been waiting for for quite a long time. So, guys, if you are on Instagram, do not follow the other Lynn Ray. I think he's going to sell you Bitco- or yeah. try to sell you Bitcoin or something. He's going to sell you Bitcoin or something. You want This is the this is Lynn Ray's Instagram. It's Lynn I L I N underscore Ray R E h e a underscore knife maker the the, his i'll link it in the show notes go to ray knives um ray knives and read his read i hope you do some more writing by the way because your writing is very i enjoy your writing very much and go check him out support him however you can he does a lot on social media and these guys they took his they took over he's got to build from scratch so go follow go follow lynn underscore ray underscore knife maker and lynn thank you so much for for coming on this has been just such a thrill for me and i'm such a fan and there's so many fans out there who've been dying have been reaching into my dms wondering when you're going to come on and i'm just thrilled that you were able to make it
1: jeff i thank you it's a treat for me to be able to talk with you and to share a few of my thoughts and uh, my intentions for the x-ray and Maybe we can do this
0: again. Your open-door policy. Now we've figured out how to do it. You you, you can come on any time you want. Any day you want, you call me up and you say, Jeff, I want to podcast again. Anytime you want open-door policy. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. All right, guys. We will see you next week. Thank you once again, Lynn. You betcha.